You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. So, this is it. We are finishing Ephesians 6 today. It's like 17th week or something like that. (laughs) So if you ever expect us to go through like Matthew or something, it'll take a whole year. (laughs) All right. So we've just finished in the last couple of weeks, Paul's household codes, right, that are, are, are a result of being filled by the Spirit or with the Spirit, okay? Um, these would govern and transform, and they still do, marriages, the home, parenting, and workplaces. So that's where we've come out of here. Uh, And now we're going to get into this whole armor of God thing. And there's many different takes and interpretations and emphasis on it. I'm trying to stay true to what it says. Okay, so um, and it seems what 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 it sort of seems like an odd switch here that Paul goes in into this strength and armor, uh, but also the way that he addresses the Ephesians here is that with an assumption that they are aware already that they are in a battle. So Paul stacks up words uh, for strength in verse 10 using, um, using the things that he has used from the start of his letter. If we look and go back and revisit chapter 1, 19 and in 20, uh, he, he's talking about this, this strength, these things that are in us, the, the immeasurable greatness of his power, right, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This language is familiar by now. Um, let's see here. It's just all connects. (laughs) So the sense of the verbs that we're going to see is that we must take this initiative to be strong in the Lord. We can say Christ is our strength. He is. But we need to, if we were the Ephesians here, we've seen it laid out. Doctrine, application. We have to play our part as well in Knowing the word and knowing the doctrine, knowing who we are and our identity, our identification in Christ, we look to him for him to strengthen us, right? 
And then he will have this, this, this command to be strong in the Lord. It rests really on the first two chapters of this letter where he has made clear what it means to be in the Lord or in Christ. And to be in the Lord means that he has saved us from God's wrath, his judgment, by his grace alone, through faith alone. And that salvation is not based on anything that we have done whatsoever. And one of Paul's repeated phrases or expressions in this letter has been in Christ or in him. So we cannot begin to understand what it means to be strong in the Lord unless we truly are in the Lord through that saving faith that comes from Jesus. So we should also know our weaknesses and know the Lord's strength. Okay, so let's read this. 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am about an, an, an ambassador in chains that I may declare it, declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then, then 21 through the 24 is the final greetings. And I want to make sure I get the guy's name right. <laughs> Okay, 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know who or how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We thank you for your word, Lord, in your name. Amen. So let me point out real fast. I will not spend much time on 21 through 24. We can't pray for Paul today. Um, <laughs> well, that's actually starts there at 19. We can't pray for him, but we'll, we'll mention his prayer request. But Tychicus, he's sending him, sending him with this letter to them to tell them all that's going on with them. And then he gives them that final peace 
to all of you. Love with faith from God and then grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I won't focus on that um, too much. There's not much to be said to exposit in there. I mean, it's good to say those things to one another, (laughs) but we don't need to pray for Paul, nor do we need to to welcome Tychicus into our church because they're no longer alive today. Okay, so. (laughs) So verse 10, he starts with finally. And it's so it's at the end of a letter in which Paul has carefully established our place in Jesus and the basics of Christian life. And this is the last section on dealing with that walk. So to write finally, it means that Paul is speak, speaks in light of everything he's already pre- previously said, everything that he's written. And then it says, be strong in the Lord and in strength of his might. It literally means be continually strengthened in the Lord. And then it tells us how to get this strength because it comes from the Lord. This might is an inerrant power or force. And it's the reserve of strength. And then the way it's written is that the power is the exercise of might. And that means that the reserve of strength is in operation. It's continual. Continually be strengthened. The Lord is pouring strength continually out to us for us to have if we will take it. So we get to this whole armor of God business here. Many use this as the great spiritual warfare passage, the biggest one in the Bible. I'm not so big on the spiritual warfare. I'm not going to say that we aren't going to need to intercede or pray through things. That is definitely uh, something that we do. So let's first remember that this is a letter to a church at Ephesus in the first century. The first application is that this is corporate. It's being written to a church as a whole. But we shouldn't neglect that this could be seen as individuals as well, right? But he's telling them, the church, put on this armor of God. So God has given his church, the body, right? A full set of equipment, giving everything that we need at our disposal. And this, the armor is... From him. It's of God. It's his actual armor. It's actually found in Isaiah 59 17. And there'll be other passages in Isaiah we'll look at. Now he is sharing it with us and he makes us more than conquerors, right? We're in Christ. He's sharing this with us. We're going to have to deal with some things here in this, these words. These phrases, schemes of the devil. Okay, schemes is a predictable method used in evil doing. It's well-crafted trickery. We've went through some of this stuff already and and the whole trickery thing, right? But um, the word devil here is uh, diabolos or diablos, right? Which is slanderer or a false accuser. So I don't know if you guys remember chapter two, for the most part, this is much like chapter two. Remember the principalities, prince of the power of the air, things like that. When we are moving into verse 12 here, it's much like that. It lists rulers, authorities, 
But there's a couple of new things, and they're interesting. There's cosmic powers, this phrase, present darkness, and spiritual forces of evil. Okay? So we should, we should already know, and I've double-checked in the Greek, and rulers are kings or magistrates. Authorities is a moral authority and influence. Where it gets interesting is the cosmic powers, the present darkness, and the spiritual forces. Okay? Cosmic powers is ruler of this world. All right? But remember, though, this is first century, okay? Because the next phrase is this present darkness, which is night's darkness and also has the sense of the principle of sin, okay? And then spiritual forces of evil. This is relating to the human spirit or relating to the realm of spirits. And evil in the heavenly realms, okay? Evil is evil, we know this. <laughs> but heavenly realms here, uh, it's the lower, this, it's the clouds, dense air, thick air, all right? Um, remember from chapter two, the, the language for, uh, for nations and uh, this, the palaces of the rulers, it's, it, it's those, right? That influence from those pagan things, pa palaces and high places, okay? Also, it's, it's worship to pagan gods and the temples that they had. And remember here, Ephesus, city of 200,000, that temple of, of Artemis, Diane, all right? The prostitution and all that that's going on there. <clears throat> you have to make sense of this because evil in the heavenly realms makes it seem like evil like you know it can get confusing but we have to have a first century context here of what's going on that's why i'm laying this out so the young literals translation says because we have not the wrestling with blood and flesh but with the principalities with the authorities with the 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 world leaders of the darkness of this age with the spiritual things of evil in the heavenly places. Now that makes a little bit more sense because we it does not say or it does say we do not fight flesh and blood, right? Now Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world, right? When he was asked that. He said if it was, the servants would come fighting. <clears throat> I'm going to speak on more of this later, but just to get the gist of it, if if Tom's got a do you have fits of rage? I hope not. <laughs> but if you if you have this anger issue okay like and you're angry at me all the time like my problem is not with you your actual literal flesh and blood your flesh your skin that's not all right you've been made new you're a new creation in christ like you're acting out in the impulse the desires of the flesh my my issue is to talk to you about this and come against that anger in a way of through the word of God to, to renew that part of your mind, to renew uh, that way of thinking. That is of the old, you're acting out of character and out of identity by acting that way because that's not the way as a new creation we would act, right? So my spirit is, or my fight is not against you, literally, like it's the unrenewed parts is the, the, right here, I got it, from last night. Galatians, I'm getting off track now. 
Galatians 5, 19. The, now the works of the flesh are evident, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, right? <laughs> uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like and things like these. Okay, the problem. Jewish people, philosophers, all these people, they saw the flesh, the actual flesh, our skin, our bodies as evil. This is no good, right? That's why Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. So even the influence that we've, we've seen here in these definitions, um, let me go back to that. <clears throat> the uh, Rulers and authorities, there's rulers, he says that, Kings or magistrates, authorities is the moral authority or influence within the culture. Sin, these desires of the flesh are evident. They influence the culture. They influence. We see this today, right? It's nothing new. All right. This isn't what principality is over this nation. It's men and women following after the desires of the flesh because they're sinners and they're using their knowledge of good and evil to say what's right and wrong. And it's influencing all of culture. Same here. That's what's going on. I'm trying to just make this more simple. <laughs> okay. You guys get that? You good? Okay. <laughs> okay. Feel better now? Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so... We get this key word then in this section, and this word is stand, all right? It's in 11, it's in 13, it's in 14. Also, there's this word resist, and it comes from the root to stand, meaning literally to stand against. It implies that the courage to hold your ground because of your allegiance to Jesus as king, okay? It's just stand, 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 stand. There's arguments if this is... On the offense or the defense. Arguments can be made. It's for both. And I didn't want to get into that. It just says stand. Stand. Stand firmly. with Like hold your position in Christ. Your allegiance is first and foremost to him. Your citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. All right? You stand in that. It's hard to do for some people. Um there's coming more, I think. It's coming more. We're going to have to stand more. <laughs> we have to. We can't, we can't beat around the bush on something. So we, we rely on God's strength and this armor, his armor. It's not all of God where we are passive and he does it all. And it's not all of just us doing it all ourselves. Rather, it's a matter of blending his power and our striving, and I'll explain that, our striving, as Paul says in Colossians 1.29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Striving is the Greek for to contend for. Contending. He's contending according to God's power which mightily worked within him. So now Paul's in prison. 
He's writing this, and he's likely chained to a Roman soldier. Some say he got the idea of God's armor from their armor. <clears throat> but it would seem that inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's recalling Old Testament scripture. And it, it, he draws the illustration. And by doing so, he could recall Old Testament scripture along with what people are seeing on these Roman soldiers. And it makes this illustration. Isaiah 11.5 says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And in Isaiah 49, 2 and 3, he, it says he made my mouth like a sharp sword. So the, the fact that Paul draws the description from Old Covenant Messianic texts which suggests that he's thinking of Jesus as the warrior. He's the one who is mighty, right? And that we are in him. So we have his strength. We have his power and authority in the trials of our lives as we trust him. And we place it in his hands. So the armor is just a graphic way of saying what Paul is saying in Romans 13, 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the issue. The flesh, its desires, its lusts. That was my message last night. The devil's not your problem. It's the old. It's the unrenewed, untransformed part of you that's trying to resurrect itself all the time. The flesh is in opposition to the spirit. The spirit's in opposition, opposition to the flesh. That's the problem. So Christ is our armor. He is the belt of truth. There's going to be a lot of scripture here, so you probably won't be able to turn to them all. If you're taking notes, you can just write down the references. John 14, 6 Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the truth, right? And I, I much prefer to give scriptural evidence of these pieces of armor than to say, you know, the belt did this and to the Roman soldier and it stood for this and all that. I just don't like that. Here's scripture for this. Jesus is our breastplate of righteousness, all right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became a sin offering. He is the gospel of peace that we stand on. We see this, I saw this earlier in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 and 14. It says, but now in in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's peace. He is our shield. Hebrews 12, 2. Apparently, like, I, know, I seem like I'm proof texting. I feel bad sometimes for doing this, but looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
You guys get that? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Man, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of, uh, of the uh, right hand of the throne of God. It's our shield. Fiery darts uh, address that. The, the, the Roman shield did was big, huge. You have a line of people put this down, makes a wall. They usually would wet it down before, like get real wet because the enemies shoot flaming arrows. When it hit the shield, it would put out the fire. All right. That's one part because everyone's like fiery darts of the devil all the time. All right. <laughs> Which I don't really think so much. I think, again, it's the flesh. <laughs> Got parts in your mind that says... Jesus doesn't really love you, does he? Right? Is that the devil? I think it's our flesh. So Jesus is also our helmet of salvation. In Titus 3, 5, and 6, it says that he saved us not because works, not, not because works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And finally, he says he is our sword. Jesus is our sword. The word of God is the sword. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? It's Jesus. The word of God. The whole Bible, the full counsel of it. So for us, let's remember that Paul wrote the first three chapters of this letter to set forth a necessary doctrinal statement or foundation of all that God has provided for us in Jesus. So we are to be doctrinally grounded in the truth of Scripture. Okay? Now, let's deal with as far as the first century context there are some more details to keep in mind. I didn't have to wrestle with the text. I have to wrestle with how to present a couple of these things to you because I, you guys probably don't have um, the framework for that, and that's okay. So I try to make it as simplistic as I can here, okay? So I, I see these words, okay? I see powers and then against the world far, uh, forces of this darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places much like I said in chapter 2, all right? Today I see two descendants. I've mentioned this before. Two descendants in the world, all right? <clears throat> those of Adam and those of Christ. And the battle individually for those who are in Christ is our fleshly desires, the lusts we just read. These things need to be subdued by the renewal and transformation of our minds. And, and now... That, that was true as much then as it is now, okay? <clears throat> but there's more going on in this text for them in the first century, all right? Some today will claim that Jesus is king, but they still say that this is the devil's world. This is his playground, all right? Um, there's these phrases and these texts in the Bible that refer to uh, the God of this age, or like we've seen in uh, Ephesians 2, Prince of the Power of the Air, all right? Not reading this in a first century context, they still give the world to the devil. I'm not so convinced that every time the word devil 
is used that it's the actual devil. Um, it's not because it's still, it means slanderer. It means accuser, okay? So we take that and we add that to other things that we see. Like in Revelation, the, the, the accuser of their brethren. I think that's out of context as well. I see that as the law. The law can tell us how we don't add up. <laughs> it accuses us of being sinful. It accuses us of not being able to take care of this on our own, right? So uh, I understand God of this age in the same way as the phrases this age and the age to come, all right? God of this age here refers to the old covenant age. This is referring to the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus came himself to rescue from the present evil age. So we have a present evil age in the first century. You guys with me? Okay. The God of the world was governing stuff that was against the new covenant. It was the old covenant governing against what Jesus has done. We see this throughout the New Testament, right? The Judaizers saying, okay, you can come in, but be circumcised. Like, Paul's, no, 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 no. Receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Look at what he's done. So Jesus came to rescue them from that age. That age and the reign of Satan over the world was coming to an end. Jesus on the cross in his resurrection gave the decisive death blow, all right, to the devil. All right, John, uh, 1 John let's look at this where's it at here's part of the gospel you don't hear about 1 John 3 alright people say Jesus came to forgive us of our sins he did but here in 1 John 3 it says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil it's part of the gospel we don't normally hear about He's defeated, all right? It goes all the way back to the first prophecy in the Bible concerning Jesus. In Genesis 3, he will crush the head of the serpent, right? So this is period of time between the resurrection and the ascension, around 30 AD, up for 40 years, one generation, a biblical generation, where these things are battling, Okay? so yes we are still born of Adam with the knowledge of good and evil sin reigns in the lives of those who do not know Christ due to the desires of the flesh which we've now covered and those desires can govern culture influence culture and politics but Jesus is king it says he's been he's seated at the right hand of God right So in verse 13, Paul seems to be saying the same thing that he is saying in Romans 13, 11. He says, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That's an interesting statement. (laughs) Time is kairos. 
in Greek. It points to an event or a significant happening. And in verse 13 of Ephesians, Paul warns the church at Ephesus to be able to withstand an evil day. All right. The Jews distinguish two types of worlds. This world and the world to come. This world, the phrase, this world, is characterized by darkness. The world to come was characterized by lightness, light, joy, and peace. So one was night, one was day. Again, in Romans 13, verse 12, Paul says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He equates their salvation with the day which is the new covenant. The old covenant was night. It was about to pass away. It was obsolete. And putting on the armor of light was putting on the armor of God. So the phrase, this age in the Bible, here's the problem. When we come to the Bible, we read it where we're at today. I read this age. I think of my time frame. I think of right now, 2018, the age to come. I see it as the future. I, usually we see it or we've been taught that the age to come is our afterlife or when Jesus returns. <clears throat> but the age to come is actually the new covenant that Jesus came to establish. We live in the age to come. All right. <laughs> it's called the church age. I call it the kingdom age. He broke into the present of that time in the history came to establish this, to defeat the works of the devil, to destroy the one who owes the power of death, the devil, to disarm the enemies, make a public spectacle of them, and to bring a new world, a world that would come, and it did. <clears throat> so the age to come is here, and the fullness of that began in 70 A.D., when the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem happened by the Roman Empire. See, to completely get rid of this old covenant and the opposition of the new covenant and what's going on with the Jews and the Gentiles and all that, it would be the end of their world to destroy their temple. All right? This is no longer necessary after Jesus has done what he's done. No need for it. It come, it's destroyed. The, the end of the world has happened for them as they know it. All right? There's no way they can do their sacrifices or their, all their other things. The elementary things, the, the whole uh, records of the, the, the priesthood of the Levites, all of it's destroyed. Okay, so that's the beginning of the age that we're in. When you read this age, it's the new covenant age. We live in it. So put on from verse 11 means to put on clothes or envelop in. It was the ideal of a garment which is wrapped around oneself. So to put on the armor of God is to put on Christ as a garment. And he's capable of protecting us from every trial and situation that we face. So there is applicability here. It applies to us. But it meant something very different to them. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I mentioned it before, but 
Jesus comes to John and sends them a letter and says, return to your first love. They've strayed far away from this. And that evil day was fastly approaching, and it did. And Paul was trying to tell them, your strength is in God because you're placed in Christ. It's in Him. It's through Him because of Him that you can withstand this present darkness and get through this and the evil day to come. To us, we may see things as a certain present darkness. I'm not demeaning any of the things that we go through. It's, that still applies to us as well. But I wanted to deal with those, those phrases there because it's important to see that in that light. It gives different meaning and it will bring other things to light to you as you read through Scripture and you come to these phrases, this age, the age to come, or present darkness, or all these things where people still think that Satan rules the world when Jesus has defeated him. And sits at the right hand of God. I think it's a twisted way of really looking. It's, it's literally like the world championship boxing match where the guy wins the title, but then he hands the belt to the guy he just defeated. It's kind of weird. <laughs> why? Like, what's, what's the point? Like, why? That, that makes no sense to me, right? All right. So I, I, I've, let's just finish now. So Paul then moves to prayer and then it's connected to the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God, which is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two edged sword, right? This is the word. Paul saying, take that sword and pray. Prayer is the power that wields the weapon of the word. And Paul mentions it more than once here, emphasizing his point and uses three different words in the Greek. One points to the general privilege of prayer. And it lays stress on prayer as an act of our need and God's omnipotent ability to meet those needs. And then there's also petition, supplication, and request, and it stresses the sense of need. And as we know, Paul wrote in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, and he means literally at every opportunity. Right? So that, that, that's... Uh, Paul's point here is, is that it's a way of life. It's not just praying about right, big decisions to make the right decisions or in times of fear, but about all things at all times. And prayer is to be a constant communion with our Lord. And then he says to pray in the Spirit. Now, <clears throat> many think that refers to praying in tongues, but there's no, <laughs> there's no evidence of that at all. Praying in the Spirit is to pray in dependence of the Spirit in accordance with God's Word. It's to pray according to God's revealed will in His Word. And then he says to keep alert with all perseverance. Again, another good phrase for first century context there. But meaning keep awake and keep a watchful attention on your life, on your spiritual matters, which it should all be spiritual matters. And then he uses it in a way that means devote yourself constantly to this. And this is all in regards to praying for the saints, 
whom are all the believers that we know. So we are to be praying for each other. <laughs> and then, then he gets the, the, the request to pray for him. I've already touched upon that. But his request is something that we should pray for. A prayer for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. How often do we pray for that, right? We should pray for that. We need to pray for the pastors and the teachers and the missionaries. I know, it's like... <laughs> oh, the clock did stop, didn't it? What time is it? I'll just keep on preaching. <laughs> but we need, we need to pray for boldness. To proclaim that, we need to pray for the preachers, the teachers, the missionaries to be fearless and uncompromising in this day when it comes to the gospel and what the word says. All right. A lot of talk on the Internet right now about this lady who was on Ellen. It's a Christian artist. She got to sing on Ellen and everybody she should have known. What do you think about homosexuality? tough position to be in but the last statement she made she was like you know i don't know let god be the judge of that you read the bible find out for yourself and you find out anything let me know okay (laughs) all right so we need to pray to be bold in that to be uncompromising in that okay we have to make a stance on that when we're asked we have to I'm not necessarily putting her down, but I'm just saying that's an example of that. 